In every generation, there are chosen queers. We alone will stand against the cisheads, the straights, and the forces of darkness. We are the Gayers. Hello, and welcome to We Are the Gayers. Happy Blue Moon, everyone. This is a fully spoiled Buffy podcast recorded in order of how much we like the seasons, starting with season four. And today we are discussing season four, episode eight, Pangs. This episode originally aired on our Patreon in April of 2021. If you are enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to leave us five stars and some kind words on Apple Podcasts. Um, As you all know, reviews are really helpful, especially for new podcasts, and we would love for more people to know about this podcast. So please take a moment to review it, or if that doesn't work for you, to tell your friends or share about us on social media. Word of mouth is really the only way that people start listening to new podcasts, so you know, it's up to you. Only you can spread the good news about We Are the Gayers. Uh, And if you want more of us, you can check out everything about Hashtag Ruthless, including all of our other podcasts on Hashtag Ruthless.com, or you can follow us on Instagram or Tumblr at Hashtag Ruthless Pods for memes and updates and cute pictures of our pets and sometimes cute pictures of us so you should totally do that and if you want to binge three years of this podcast all at once and also access things like newsletters and early releases of our other podcasts and me reading you stories check out our patreon at patreon.com slash hashtag ruthless I think that's everything. We'll be back on September 29th for the full Harvest Moon. And now, let's get into this episode. Hello, and welcome to We Are the Gayers, a podcast where a couple of sorcerers talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount. And today we are talking about episode 8 of season 4 Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Pangs, in which... Buffy attempts to have Thanksgiving and a whole lot of very racist things happen. (laughs) But also, this is the uh, beginning of the Spike Giles roommate situation. So possibly one of two bright spots in this here episode. A couple of reminders. One, if you have not yet listened to your homework assignment podcasts, here is a reminder to go do that before you listen to this one. They are episode one of the podcast Métis in Space. Métis is spelled M-E-T-I-S. It is an indigenous podcast that talks about sci-fi and fantasy sometimes, mostly sci-fi. It's awesome. And their episode on Pangs is great. And also to listen to episode, I believe, 46 of the podcast Slayer Fest 98, where they interviewed Jane Espenson, who wrote this episode about this episode. So go listen to those. And also, I forgot to say in the last episode when I talked about this, but if you haven't listened yet, uh, the Métis in Space episode contains just a lot of sarcasm, which can be confusing for some folks. So just a heads up that that is there. Also, I don't know if I've said on this podcast yet that we have We Are The Gayers merch now in our merch shop, but we do. We have stickers and t-shirts and they're rad. That's all of the things besides the fact that we're spoiling everything. Uh, great. Listeners, come with me now as we enter the bronze where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. <laughs> uh, do, do you want to start or do you want me to start? 
I just talked so much. It's your turn. My first thing is, so right after the theme song and the cold opening, we get uh, Willow and Buffy and Anya kind of hanging out in front of one of Xander's work sites, a.k.a. the groundbreaking of the Sunnydale U Cultural Center. And Anya makes it clear that she is there just to watch Xander shirtless or in a tank top doing manual labor, which I can't fault her for. But I'm just, I don't know why Buffy and Willow are there. Because they're not enjoying the visual of Xander working, like, in a tight tank top in the sun. Yeah, I actually wondered that too. There is a brief cutaway to, like, some bleachers where there seem to be some other students there to, like, listen to the anthropologist professor's speech. So I wondered if it was maybe, like, they were there on a class assignment and we're just standing with Anya because they know Anya. That was the only thing I could come up with. That would make sense. That does seem like a kind of thing the professor would be like, go there and like write a 500 word thing about the thing and then get some credit. Right. Exactly. My first thing is actually not about that episode. It is about the fact that I learned in that interview with Jane Espenson. I'm going to talk a lot of shit about Jane Espenson in this episode obviously but I learned that she wrote both Superstar and Storyteller which are like two of my top 10 favorite episodes of this entire series which was like holy shit yeah how do you go from that to like writing this episode which is just such a (sighs) terrible racist pile of like hot dog shit (laughs) truly yeah yeah, um, all right. I don't, I feel like this is towards the beginning when Angel is in Giles' apartment and, like, Giles is like, this isn't fair. She needs to know that you're here. And Angel's like, it's worse for me. It's, like, so hard to be on the outside looking in at what you can't have. And then it, like, cuts to Spike just looking like the person in the Five of Pentacles tarot <laughs> card. Just, like, peering in a window at these vampires just eating a person. <laughs> it's, like, it's such a beautiful scene. Yeah, I actually had a bit about that, too, just because, yeah, I mean, the one thing the, like, very lost orphan at the holidays visual of him is so funny and also kind of, like, maybe Spike misses his vampire family. And then I was like, you know, Angel was here. They could have, like, Angel and Spike could have had, like, mini family reunion, but maybe it wouldn't have gone quite so well because they are still very antagonistic together. But I'm kind of like, I want to see that Thanksgiving episode and not this one. (laughs) (laughs) The, like, buddy comedy of Angel teaching Spike how to be a vampire that doesn't feed on humans anymore. Yeah. I would be really into that. I know. Really, truly a missed opportunity. I just have a question about... So Riley and the crew are out and about before Thanksgiving for a hot minute. And they're wearing face paint, which is very, very confusing. Because in the past, we've seen them wear ski masks or balaclavas or whatever face covering. And so I don't understand why they're wearing face paint in this episode. I'm just why I have it doesn't no make idea. any sense you're you're in an urban area urban-ish area 
suburban area, whatever. It's so silly. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Not in the fucking slightest. <laughs> also, Riley stops like half a centimeter below his hairline. So he just has this glowing white strip at the top of his <laughs> forehead. <laughs> it's like, ends up looking like a reflective material you would put on yourself while out riding a bike when the rest of his face is dark green. <laughs> yeah. And now that I think about it, that doesn't sound very effective if they're hunting demons. I would assume that, like many predators, vampires, other demons have other ways besides the human spectrum to sense or see human beings. Yeah. And it wouldn't camouflage you from me or another person just seeing this dude in the bush. <laughs> maybe it's just to make it extra you know if you saw them in the bushes you would just assume that they're larping so they just wanted to make sure that people throw people off the the game right a little thanksgiving break larping Mm -hmm. or playing paintball or something yeah we get very blatant and not super great exposition about Angel's new show when him and Willow are talking. That's very silly, but I love that we get the moment where Angel looks up and sees Buffy talking to Riley and it's just like, who's that? And, you know, we see him sort of clocking outline for outline. This dude could be me only with less brooding and less usually less weird hair i'm gonna talk about riley's hair in a minute but (laughs) you know it's very like wait a second who is this angel but not angsty that buffy's talking to right now i feel incredibly threatened and it's like you should feel threatened (laughs) buffy is on the verge of a potentially healthy relationship yeah especially since angel's whole bullshit excuse for leaving at the end of season three is I want you to go have a happy, quote-unquote, normal life with a dude who is alive. And here Buffy is, moving on to a dude that is alive. You have no room to be upset about this, Angel. And Fuck yet. You. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think because I brought it up, though, let me just also say, so when I was listening, I listened to the... Métis in Space episode before I rewatched the actual episode and they insult Riley's hair in it and I was like what he has for the late 90s perfect dreamboat hair and then I watched the episode and I was like oh no he has I desperately need a haircut and this uh this haircut that I have does not work when it becomes this length hair in this episode it's long enough for him to mostly put it behind his ear and it just looks peewee hermony kind of <laughs> like it's been plastered parted in the middle and then plastered and i was like oh no this is terrible hair i wasn't paying super close attention to his hair when i when i watched the episode but i believe that it's true but it does um i did like that it kind of timeline makes sense because he's about to go home for thanksgiving so he hasn't had a haircut presumably since he got there for the semester and he's gonna you know probably do something adorable like go to the barbershop with his dad in huxley iowa just 
be all wholesome. Uh, yeah, Totes Midwest Wholesome, where his grandfather went to the same barber, and the barber has had this tiny shop for the past 50 years, and there's old-timey photos of people on the wall, and maybe a taxidermy deer head. I don't know. Absolutely. You nailed it. <laughs> I've been to enough Midwest barbershops to <laughs> Yes, what do you have next? Anya is being a very good girlfriend in this episode. And I feel like part of it is that if we assume that part of where Anya is getting her how to be a person information is television, mm-hmm. then it's very clear what her template is uh, if your partner is sick you take care of them you bring them things you make sure they don't die of a fever whatever Mm -hmm. and so i thought that was worth noting that it's maybe one of the instances where getting information about how to person from pop culture isn't a terrible idea and not like a terrible idea but is it leading anya astray i suppose yeah yeah. Did you catch the part of the Slayer Fest 98 episode where Jane says that Anya follows a human script, which I thought was great. Yeah. And confirmation of our reading of Anya, too. Exactly. Yeah. And as someone who loves when advice columns give scripts for <laughs> dealing with situations, as someone who is still learning how to person... <laughs> I get it. I'm glad that Anya has a good strip script for this. And it's really too bad we don't get more information about <laughs> how Anya is gathering her human script examples. Yeah. I would fucking love an Anya spinoff. Ugh. I know. The one part of her... her I've, and I don't feel like this is the same script necessarily, but where it does sort of lean into unhealthy pop culture arena is when Xander's like, but you'll get sick. And she says, we'll die together. It's romantic. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Yeah. That is definitely a romance trope that is not as romantic as I think people think it is. (laughs) Especially (laughs) not when you're dying together of smallpox. (laughs) Yeah. There's nothing romantic about that. No. Europe. Am I? Okay. Harmony is great. (laughs) She's super perfect. That was another thing that I really appreciated about that interview was, uh, I believe the quote is, Harmony became a mythical ageless being and is still shallow. She's the same girl, but a vampire. And I was like, yeah, it's great. Also, Harmony, who has read maybe half a chapter of a self-help book and has decided that she does not need a man anymore. And I mean, granted, Spike did treat her shittily, so she is she's completely justified in being like, no, fuck off. But I feel like her dialogue is very <laughs> 90s self-help dialogue. Yeah, but she's also following a script, and I think it's helping her. And she does modify the script to her own template when she says, I'm powerful and beautiful and I don't need you to complete me and you're mean, which is the best. All all of those things are true. 
Every single one of those things. That's self-actualized harmony here for it. Yes. Oh, God. And may this gift be to all of us that you're always allowed to add and you're mean to the end of things like this. Honestly, and you're mean could be a complete sentence about why you're breaking up with someone. Because as I have learned from many an advice column or people asking for advice on the internet, is there are so many people who don't like the people they're dating or married to or partnered with. And it's it's just why? Why are you with someone who is mean to you that you don't or that you don't like? Just you don't have to do that. I know. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Don't don't be with mean people. Yeah. And there's a difference between when you're jokingly mean to someone that you're in a relationship with, maybe because that's your sense of humor. I mean, and that's kind of me and Nicole's dynamic is that we'll just often say just really like smart ass or catty things to one another. But if something she says hurts my feelings, I'm like, actually, that was mean. <laughs> that was mean of you to say that thing. I did not appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I think... It's really a read the room kind of situation. Is yeah. everyone having fun or not is really the difference between whether something is mean or playful. Mm-hmm. And if you tell someone that the way that they're doing things is mean and they don't stop, then their intentions moving forward in no way are relevant to whether or not they're being mean. Yeah. That got heavy. Uh, what do you have? Um, Something definitely less heavy, which is... Possibly, I said that there was only two good things about Bright Spots of this episode. And the other thing is Anya's line about how Thanksgiving is a ritual sacrifice with pie, mm-hmm. which is both very accurate and also fucking hilarious. Yes. You kill, to commemorate a past event, you kill and eat an animal. Yeah. I think this should be in our lexicon about how we talk about Thanksgiving. I agree. <laughs> Especially when it is a ritual sacrifice of... American colonialization. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know. Which I guess also kind of was what 4th of July is. Yeah. Because there's often meats consumed. I think, actually, grilled meats is a big part of 4th of July, I feel. Yes, but I would say not in the same way as the symbolism of an entire animal. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. My last thing here is that maybe the actual the best actual good part of this entire episode is when spike says a bath you made a bath i didn't mean to undo it undo it out of all the things for spike to be freaking out about freaking out about a bear is intensely funny it's so funny bro you're a vampire i think you could eat a bear he could have taken up. a bear that's true he is tied up that bear could have eaten his face and he's immortal so it would have just stayed eaten forever or something it probably would have regrown with more blood it is actually a, it is actually a good question about what are the the limitations of vampire healing yeah we don't have time to talk about that on this episode nope. though we are, we are not going to be doing that also along with that spike hopping his chair around the room this is a scene where there's dialogue between Buffy and Giles, and he's just in the background, just like scooting around. <laughs> <It's so laughs> <just> like... <laughs> oh, it's too great. 
Welcome to the cemetery, where we talk about character development. Let's start with Willow. I have a couple things. I think we get some important information here about how Willow doesn't like Anya, uh, which will be an ongoing sort of theme and issue throughout this season and maybe next season. I don't remember. It goes it goes deep into next season also. Uh, and then I have that Willow telling Angel off is great. We always love Willow going off on someone because she is amazing at it. Yeah, he deserved Willow yelling at him and being like, are you evil? Why are you sneaking around and grabbing people? (laughs) What is everyone supposed to think of this? I disliked the part at the end of her rant where she was like, this is my stuff because everything that she said to him was completely applicable to him. Yeah. Where she's like, you think you know what's best for her and like, don't take anything that she wants into account and whatever. And she's like, oh, that's about me and Oz. And it's like, that is not about you and Oz. Like, Angel's sucking right now. Yeah. And I will suggest continues to suck for the rest of the series. (laughs) And has sucked from the beginning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is an anti-Angel podcast. It's actually too bad because... I think he does so much better on Angel. I find him much more tolerable and interesting watching Angel the series than I have ever watching Buffy. Yeah, he's basically a different person. Yeah. Do you have anything else about Willow? Yes. Which is Willow's whole vibe this episode of being white girl woke. Oh, yeah. Which, as we learn in the Slayer Fest episode, is sort of a proxy for how Jane Espison feels, which so much white guilt then, which I'm like, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> and even the bit where Willow was like, yeah, we didn't celebrate Thanksgiving growing up because my mom is also white girl woke. <laughs> but I feel like I can appreciate that more to tell your kid we're not celebrating we're not celebrating thanksgiving and this is why mm-hmm. and especially also columbus day i think she i think willow mentioned yeah and both of these things are definitely things that white people should tell their children about and why it's fucked up mm-hmm. but willow instead went heavy on the white guilt <laughs> and it's very cr- <laughs> it's very cringy not as cringy as of course the things that spike and giles say and even the things that buffy says but it's like it's 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 an ever increasing amount of cringy whiteness. Yeah, I thought that that the most interesting part of the homework was that Jane Espenson says that she most closely identifies with Willow, and then at the end of the Métis in Space episode, when they're like, "Who did we hate the most?" Both of them immediately are like Willow, and I was like, "This is maybe the most like." <laughs> incredible synchronicity that could happen yeah (laughs) yeah and part of it at least for me is that as a black person i would much rather deal with the straight up racism versus the white guilt subtle racism of we should do something and then it's like 
okay, but you need to all get over your guilt if you want to move forward in doing any like anti-racist work. And it's like, no, too guilty. And it's like, uh, what? <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. Yep. It's, I'm going to wait for the politics section is what's going to happen. Uh, okay. My last Willow thing is the amount of like, emotionally okay she is about Oz in this chapter makes it such a jarring jump to the next episode which is something blue which is the depths of Willow's emotional distress and it's like we just have this episode here where she seems pretty okay I don't know I feel like they could have worked harder to incorporate her grief into the script yeah, to make it less sudden that she, you know, that her low is just so low. But yeah, she does seem very okay in this episode, which she could have been a little bit less okay. Yeah. Huh. All right. My next piece of this segment is titled Ugh Angel. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Because it's our first time seeing him this season. Oh, yeah. I wrote that everyone thinks he's he's all like... Why does everyone think I'm evil? And I wrote, everyone thinks you're evil because you're not crying. That's your <laughs> only limits. <laughs> also, him just creeping around, grabbing people, <laughs> is not helping his case for not being evil in this situation. It sure isn't. And Anya very wisely asks, what's he like when he is evil? <laughs> Which I fucking love. <laughs> Anya knows. Anya has has done vengeance on many a creepy boyfriend or stalker, as I believe might be an accurate term for what is happening in this episode. Yeah. Anya, Anya sees the signs, y'all. Yep. I literally just had fucking angel. <laughs> this is like, dude, why? What? Why? How? Why? Fucking go back. To LA. He could yeah. have just called Giles and called it and been good. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. I love, love, love getting Angel through Anya's eyes. He's <laughs> large and glowery, isn't he? <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's just really speaking for all of us angel naysayers. Also, Anya's like, I've done vengeance on so many guys like this. Y'all, what's happening? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> why is why is he around? Because he clearly needs someone to do some vengeance on him. Which is true. <laughs> yeah. Although, I mean, he is this way because of vengeance having been done upon him. This is true. Um, do you have anything else about Angel? I don't. Do you have anything else here? I think my only thing is that... I really feel like Spike has had a run-in with a bear before. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot, I cannot shake this. I can't totally explain it, but I feel like Spike's panic is the panic of, oh fuck, not again, of some kind. Yeah, the delivery, the delivery really feels that way. I think that you're right. And to answer everyone's question, I have in fact been working on a fan fiction about this because I feel very strongly about this. That's such good news. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been trying to get it finished for several months now because 
it's actually from Angel's POV, which is very hard to write from. But yeah, it would be. But it's like Evil Angel, which is so much be- easier to write from. I think. True. So, yep. Like, uh. Anyway, I just love vintage thanked for like let's get in weird vampire family stuff i'm very excited about this all right let's go talk about clothes welcome to april fool where we talk about fashion is it time to talk about buffy's very confusing cowboy hat sure yes we can start there (laughs) she never wears a cowboy hat again I don't think we ever see her wearing a hat again. She wears beanies sometimes, very infrequently, mostly when she's being incognito. Fair, as you do. (laughs) I just really hope someone has just taken Buffy's cowboy hat and just gotten rid of it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, it's really overkill. Like... Yes. It's... Truly... As a general rule, I really like how uh, sort of go big or go home the symbolism on this show is. Like, I think that that's a lot of what contributes to the campiness of this show is sort of just, yeah. all right, do they teach it as as a symbolic thing in like film 101 in college? Yes, then we should do it. Mm-hmm. And there's a fuckload of that in this episode but the cowboy hat is a bridge too far yeah it's too much and it doesn't look good on Buffy (laughs) no (laughs) it looks ridiculous now if Riley had shown up wearing a cowboy hat I would have brought that he's already midwest corn country life so it would have maybe still been a little bit weird but it maybe wouldn't have been as weird yeah, I just think he does wear a cowboy hat in um, the final episode of the season in Willow's Dream, where he's just walking yeah. around going, I'm cowboy guy. Um, <laughs> and he does, pu- he does pull it off, so <laughs> I think you're right. You know, I, yep, that is exactly what I was thinking about. I'm like, wow, he's really good in a cowboy hat. And I'm like, yes, duh. <laughs> uh, yeah, but... Right. Not not a bridge too far, I would say, is the fact that we really do only see Buffy in sort of like pioneer woman clothes through this entire episode, but they are all clothes that Buffy would wear. Like yeah. She's wearing this leather skirt with the prairie top, and she wears another prairie top later in the episode, and she just very much looks like she's about to go be an extra in uh, the Laura Ingalls Wilder Oh, Little, Little House on the, the Prairie. Prairie show, which all is fine. Like, I think all really works for the, like, over-the-top symbolic things that they're going for in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, can we talk about yet another bewildering and terrible fuzzy willow sweater? <laughs> <sighs> yes, we can. <laughs> orange and yellow horizontal blocks and is very fuzzy and is so confusing see i liked it if it wasn't fuzzy not like for Mm. me but for willow like if that was a a different material i like the colors and it the sort of 
what is the word for that? Abstracty kind of application of the colors. I, I was sort of the whole time being like, I hate it. I love it. I hate it. Not love. Like it. <laughs> uh, but I think the fuzzy, the fuzzy out performs <laughs> the rest of it. And so it, it ends on a bad note. Yeah. I will say Willow does wear a pretty excellent shirt when whatever scene of Willow in the dorm, she's wearing a like a light blue and a light pink pastel shirt where the sleeves are blue and the chest part is baseball pink. tee. Yeah. Which I would totally buy if I had seen it in a thrift store. Yeah, it's a really good shirt. I also aside from like just feeling like the peace sign on it is sort of whatever, but that gray sweater that she's wearing in the scene with Angel is also a really good sweater. It is. It happens sometimes. <laughs> they're, they're slowly figuring out what Willow's post-college look is. <laughs> yeah, they're getting there. Um, speaking of great sweaters, Giles is wearing an excellent sweater this episode. He truly is. I feel like I couldn't enjoy it because of how completely unsexy Giles acts this episode. You gotta get all your enjoyment in in the first like five seconds of screen time before he starts talking. Sorry. <laughs> My timing was off, Jesse was taking a big drink. <laughs> and you know I love Giles in a sweater because he basically only wears sweaters this season. Sweaters and bathrobes. <laughs> she looks great in both. <sighs> but this is like a fancy sweater. It's a really nice sweater. It is a really nice sweater. Uh, your turn? I only had uh, Buffy and Willow stuff. So you weren't going to talk about Anya's pants? Wait, no? What? Oh my god. Okay, hang on. I'm going to have to send you a screenshot. I won't lie. I was a little stoned when I watched this <laughs> <laughs> which part of the episode is it from the very very beginning <laughs> oh, oh uh, i do remember that how did i not write that down what is going on uh, <laughs> listeners uh anya is wearing a pair of patchwork plaid pants in shades of blue and brown it is a very bewildering look. They are awful. They're just such, such terrible pants. I would just love to listen to a podcast about whoever was the costume people for Buffy. Yeah. So many questions. So many, what were you thinking? Please tell me. I mean, those patchwork pants were had a moment in this in this era but even for that look those pants are terrible yeah yeah that's actually my first note in this section is just in all caps anya's pants holy shit (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) and maybe part of it is because i remember seeing those pants at places like hot topic where they were of course in shades of red and black right Maybe some yellow, depending. Which is a look, but not a terrible look. Unlike Anya's pants, which is very confusing. Yep. (sighs) All right. One hour done. And now we're going to go talk about politics for 75 hours. So here we go. (laughs) 
<laughs> they have so many points. Welcome to the Hellmouth, where we talk about politics and things that are fucked up. Anything that is not the like theme of the episode, I think we should do first. So I have two things. Do you have anything? Okay, so first off, Spike's logic about what is happening is incorrect. Like Giles, he's on the side of the Empire, which, besides whiteness, TM, is probably also from Spike's origins as a fine Victorian lad. (laughs) But he also says another real racist thing about the uh, finding humor in the photos that were very common in the 90s about starving kids in places like Ethiopia and other kind of countries that uh, England and France colonized to a point where people are starving. Mm-hmm. And he mentions that he thinks that is funny, which I do not chalk up to being a vampire thing. I chalk up to being him being a white dude thing, which this is as close as we get to sort of how racist Spike is as a 120 something year old vampire Hmm. and because buffy has maybe very few if not any bipoc people working in their writer's room per this episode as an example i don't think it really gets touched upon really anywhere else in the series partly because up until this point spike is a villain yes he's a villain but making spike racist would take or would I think take it a step too far for this sort of fake woke white people in the writer's room of Buffy. But you do kind of have to wonder (laughs) uh, how much of Spike's pro-Empire views have still carried on into 1999. God, I feel like there's so much potential to that conversation. And like, especially... There's probably so much to dig into in the fact that the two slayers that Spike has killed were both women of color. And the slayer that he can't kill is this like blonde white girl. And especially since this is the thing I think about a lot because I think I've mentioned in a previous episode how uh, Fool for Love is still like one of my favorite episodes of Buffy. But it is very unfortunate about the two slayers that spike can kill a woman of color <laughs> like right. they're very like it's not a great look for the show <laughs> no yeah oh my gosh which we'll also get into into season two where it's before season seven the only other slayer that we see get murdered is kendra right played beautifully by bianca lawson who's been playing a high school girl for the past 20 years <laughs> <laughs> because she still looks the same which is incredible that is incredible so yeah yeah this the show isn't prepared to, to tackle spike's possible racism and i don't think i've ever seen a fan fiction that does either because again the fandom is very white mm-hmm. very heavily skewed towards white ladies yeah that actually was also my first thing here uh my other non- overarching plot thing is this line of giles where he says where buffy has just and please um 
read my massive eye roll into what I'm saying. Listeners who can't see me or Buffy has corrected him and said, we call them Native Americans now. And Giles responds with, oh, right. I'm always behind on the terms and I'm still trying to stop referring to you lot as bloody colonials, which I wrote is peak. It's too hard to use the singular they. Uh, I can't keep up with you people in your politically correct terms. Yeah, that I actually have that down as peak fuck your PC bullshit also. Yeah. Which is just uh on top of all of the bad looks that Giles presents in his episode, that is a particularly bad look. Yeah. So listeners, we're we're gonna start with some of our reactions from uh the Slayer Fest ninety eight episode that we have hoped that you've listened to. So any of this will make sense. Uh, can I just say something that just popped into my mind? Yes. Slayer fest, more like cringe fest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's just like, it's so cringy. Yeah, <sighs> it it really is. Yeah. Yeah. I really wished that the host would have even a little bit pushed back on all of the racist things that happened in this episode, um, which I, I, I don't know for the reason for not doing so. But Jane Espenson says enough cringy things where she kind of hangs herself on her own rope a lot of times. Yeah, it is bizarre. I mean, I feel like there's a moment, there's a moment where I think it's when she says uh, that she hopes, like the hopes that the episode has aged well, basically. And you can sort of hear a glitch in the host's response before, before they're like, and moving on you know and but i feel like that's the only time in the whole interview that we really get any indication that they maybe don't think that this episode has aged well and there's even a point where i think ian says that the episode is very progressive for its time which is a factually incorrect statement (laughs) yes thank you one one part of this disaster of an episode about that just brings out so many racist tropes about indigenous people in the united states is that these kind of things happen when your writer's room is hella white Mm -hmm. now again i i don't know if there are any pocs in the writing room at this time on buffy if there was one person it'd probably be really awkward to be like hey this seems hella racist if all your other coworkers are white so you know but no one no one said okay but are you sure about this episode not a single person had any reservations about this episode besides all of willow's white woke white fake woke comments uh it's not great it's not great it's super super fucking weird i think to me the like wildest part of the interview is when she says that she was concerned with getting the historical details right and uh and making sure that it wouldn't be terribly insulting and then goes on to describe her research process which is like figure out where sunnydale is on a map and figure out what indigenous tribes lived in that area and then 
I'm not joking, went to a gift shop and talked to some ladies, went to a museum and talked to someone there, and then quote unquote found some people with Shumash ancestry (laughs) and found some books in a library. And in my research, I learned that like, a stone's throw away from where she was doing this research in Santa Barbara, there is a reservation, a Shumash reservation with in fact, not exterminated people that she could have fucking gone and talked to presumably if she'd like asked nicely and paid people for their work. Like what the fuck you talk to some ladies in a gift shop and you're like, I did my research i just i just cannot it's 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 the worst it's the most half-assed research you could not use that research in a research paper what oh my god can you imagine you're like my primary source is some ladies (laughs) in a gift shop uh that is not a good source uh for your research by the way uh no nope that is what in a gift shop in a gift shop what what kind of gift shop (laughs) one ran by white people probably what the fuck oh it's incredible and the fact that she's like i did some half-ass research this is fine i pulled i quote unquote pulled some stuff Uh, and um i just want to scream because, again, yes, the Shumash people still live in the Santa Barbara area. Yep. They're not extinct, which is its own sort of racist trope of, oh, we've killed all the all the indigenous people. No, pe- indigenous people are still here. <laughs> and they need more reparations. <laughs> so it is just so cringy when she said that. Like she uses past tense to talk about the Shumash the whole the whole interview, and I feel like that is the most just like glaringly bad when she says the part about how she talked to some people with Shumash ancestry, because that makes it sound like these were not people who like identify as Shumash now, right? They're yeah. Who even fucking knows yeah. who, who these people exactly. are that she talked to? But like clearly not people that made her come away with the awareness that she maybe shouldn't write this script using the word like words we exterminated them yeah i yeah just the just the fact that through her half-ass research she was like these people don't these people don't exist anymore when it's very obviously obvious that they do exist and you did not consult anyone who was shumash which I'm sure was super awkward if you are Shumash and you're watching this episode. It's I'm I can't even imagine the levels of what the fuck. Yep. It's so inappropriate. I just Wild wildly inappropriate. Yep. Yeah. The other quote from her that I wrote down is that when she says that she would have been more like Willow, and she says, the least I can do is get the words right. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's not actually the least you can do because you didn't do it. I just... <laughs> the least you could have done was not written this racist ass episode. I do want to talk about that. 
she was given this as an assignment, right? Because yeah. she says that, oh my God, fucking Joss Whedon had always wanted to do a Thanksgiving episode with a dead Native American on the table, quote unquote. And while I, I very strongly still am like, she gets all all the responsibility for the episode that she did write. I am have just been racking my brains trying to figure out if there's a way that anyone could have been handed this assignment and been able to write something that Joss would have allowed to air that wasn't awful. Ooh, probably not. Because I think the, the basic premise of the assignment is awful. Yeah. And as someone who has watched every Joss Whedon produced show, all of them are deeply racist in, in a variety of ways. So, yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're right. There is, this episode was always going to be a piece of shit. There is no, no amount of gold leaf in this pile of shit would have made it anything more than a pile of shit. Yeah. It's like she just, she got, she had to be the one that put her personal brand of awful on the the thing that was going to be awful no matter what. Uh, yeah. It's just a bummer. It's a bummer that it had to exist at all. And that if he was going to insist on doing it, he didn't decide to bring in indigenous writers who then probably would have just told him not to write this episode. Right. Yeah. I was trying to think about what it would have looked like to have made this episode better. And obviously, as someone who is not indigenous, maybe shouldn't necessarily be asking that question about what it would look like. I do think if there were living Shumash people in this episode, that might have been slightly better to even if those people were like, LOL, we're not helping you random ridiculous white girl that could have been it just a little uh, lol uh best of luck to you yeah have fun dealing with the results of uh, your colonization <laughs> right they just would have been like yeah give us a call when you give us our land back if not deuces best of luck yeah uh that would have made things just slightly better Versus the versus like we're getting a 31 flavors of white lies and white supremacy and one very fucked up view about quote unquote Native American vengeance spirit. Yeah, I think you're next. I think that is all of the things that I wrote down about it. All right. Uh, so then we should we move on then? Sure. Do you want to start with stuff from the Métis in Space episode? Yeah, let's talk about it. They say this bit about how if they were creating this episode, they also would have chosen to have the priest and the anthropologist die. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is also what I have chosen. And especially because the Father Gabriel was part of religious colonizers from back in the mission days not to mention all of the things we've learned about catholic priests and how well they're hiding any kind of abuse means i'm kind of like i'm of the mind that i don't feel mad about <laughs> the shumash <laughs> vengeance spirit marking this dude 
I just, I just don't. Especially some dude who proudly traces his lineage back to the mission times when I don't know if anyone was somehow confused about how the syphilis came to be spread, but it was through the missions. And one of the things that I found said that between the women who were first infected with syphilis, presumably through rape, and their kids who were born with it, something like 200,000 people died from syphilis, which is like... I mean, Ani says it won't kill you, but it can actually kill you. It can give you a heart attack. And syphilis in really late stages of syphilis does fucked up shit to your brain. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a truly wild disease. Yeah. So, oh, the point was like the missions are directly responsible for like that particular piece of the atrocities that are, you know, being heavy-handedly recounted to us in this episode so like fuck yeah kill father gabriel yeah and in a lot of places where christian missions set up to fuck over indigenous people these were also often sites where missions are working really hard to stamp out indigenous languages religion, culture, um, gender expression, because as we all, as we should know, uh, gender binary is a part of colonialization and Christianity. So thanks for that. Along with taking indigenous kids from their family and basically sending them to a kind of brainwashing boarding school to then be adopted out by quote unquote nice white families. Right. There's plenty of instances of this happening in both the U.S. and Canada. So... It's not much of a stretch to be to hypothesize that some similar things were happening in California. Right. So, yeah. So uh, pretty bad. Again, not feeling sorry for this priest getting murked. So. Nope. And the and the anthropologist, which Mady in Space brings up how much anthropologists have gone into indigenous communities all over the world to quote-unquote study them as if indigenous people aren't people but a new exciting kind of animal to study to, to see how quote-unquote their society works and things like that like they live such wild and blatantly unusual lives from quote-unquote civilized people on top of uh, anthropologists taking so much shit from indigenous people. Buffy and Willow mentioned that there's all these uh, Shumash weapons and items in the Sunnydale, I'm assuming, Natural History Museum, because this is often where you find things from indigenous people. And that is such a problem that I think even a lot of like woke people don't think about being an issue, which is how much stolen shit is in natural history museums, art museums, just museums in general. I mean, the British Museum is just giant vault of stolen things from places that the British have colonized, uh, which is fucked up, which is part of why the British Empire was so rich and places that they've colonized are not. Yep. So, yeah. I mean, return that shit. Uh, <laughs> if you've watched Black Panther and that scene where Killmonger's in the museum 
and he's like, "What? what I'm taking. I'm gonna take this because where did y'all get this shit? You stole it. Fuck y'all." Is such a great scene and, and, and a great movie because it's true. Yeah, all of this, all this shit is stolen, and from who? What? Like, give all this shit back? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Which and there's the other the other piece of that too, like you mentioned that things from about in general about like indigenous societies are often in natural history museums, which is like where you put dead things, and that massively contributes to the general perception that this is an exterminated race of people, like just like the dinosaurs <sighs> just gone and it's like no get this is the wrong museum like at the very yeah. least this is not the appropriate place for this information exactly natural history museums should have taxidermy animals and crystals and dinosaur bones all things that i want to see and planetariums and planetariums uh, obviously, the extraction of these things can be problematic. I will recognize that. All right. Uh, my favorite maybe line from the whole Métis in Space episode is Buffy is learning to feel guilty about her cowboy hat. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> such a good line. <laughs> so good. It's so, so Yeah, Buffy has literally never questioned anything about Thanksgiving until literally Willow opened her mouth. And yeah, I just, I'm kind of like, I don't know what to say more than the white ignorance about anything going. It's kind of like, all right, cool. Well, never, never questioned any of this. Never thought beyond like, oh, cool. Thanksgiving with family. I know. Here's something that I thought was really interesting is that they, I think, very accurately point out that the goal of the episode is to absolve settler guilt. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because this episode, I guess I feel like if they were like really going hard on that aim, which I think was their aim, it would have ended with some sort of like putting the restless spirit like at peace with some sort of like symbolic and useless gesture. Yeah. But they don't go that way. They go this way of like, well, we killed them because we had to, which is a whole separate flavor of absolving white settler guilt. Yeah, it's more white settler anxiety, which is, uh, you know, we got to kill the spirit before he does what we did to his people. Right. And it's especially ridiculous because so the spirit's body count of this episode is two people. Mm-hmm. aforementioned priest and anthropologist and suddenly it's like oh man so many people are dead uh you don't want this angry spirit this is this is an, this is an exact quote from Giles from the episode is quote no i think perhaps we won't help the angry spirit with his rape and pillage and murder unquote. it sure is a quote uh <laughs> excuse me <laughs> um and I mean, I guess maybe I can get into this. So this sort of uh, white anxiety is so, 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 so common in, especially sci-fi and fantasy, but I would say kind of culture in general, which is the idea of the white anxiety of 
oh no, what if enter marginalized group here does to us what we've done to them? Mm-hmm. Which I would say fuels some of the white anxiety about Black Lives Matter, about the land back movement, really any sort of advancement that happens to marginalized people. Right. And this comes up like so much in sci-fi and fantasy. So the idea of like some kind of other is is here to invade or to enslave or exterminate our people and take our resources, which is the history of colonialism. You get this in Aliens, Independence Day, Doctor Who, Daleks, many episodes of Star Trek, Avatar the movie, which is already sort of a fucked up racist indigenous people parable with aliens men in black you get it with the fucking orcs in lord of the rings which is already its own brand of fucked up because they're quote-unquote from the south and quote-unquote darker and it's like dude what are you doing yeah and then you get movies where you know humans show up on a planet and the natives just fucking murder them in the martian chronicles pretty famous story the planet of the apes movie pretty famous example or you have Resistance fighters tackling a huge violent empire, which is all of the Star Wars movies, mm-hmm. a bunch of Star Trek episodes, Battlestar Galactica, also comes up in like Doctor Who and, you know, Lord of the Rings. And a lot of these examples, it's just more white people against other white people. Or maybe if it's aliens, they're blue or they're green or, you know, it, like alien colors. But it really just comes down to like, the treatment of kind of like unhuman monsters that are just basically a fill-in for the sort of isms and atrocities that white people have done to BI POC people. Mm-hmm. So in general, fantastical racism is a huge trope in, in fantasy and just oftentimes just not well done. Mm-hmm. And is kind of like, you could have just, talked about racism <laughs> as opposed to if you want to talk about your anxiety about this i feel like the only way this episode could have been worse is if buffy somehow became like the hero of these uh restless Ugh. spirits and like saved like saved them from from something instead we get her saying that you have casinos now which oh is so cringe um did you clock the look on Hoose's face when she says that because it's incredible no it's incredible just like the <laughs> fuck did you just say it's really good i'm just shaking my head. i know <laughs> oh that line should have never i mean just not a great thing for our hero to say <laughs> It's funny because I feel about that line kind of the same way I feel about the fact that the fat phobia in Harry Potter isn't couched in health, which is like, I always find it a little bit refreshing when things that are being terrible aren't like pretending that they're not being terrible. And I know that overwhelmingly this episode is trying to pretend that it's not being terrible, but that line feels very self-aware where it's just like, yeah, this is what we're doing right now. (laughs) And I'm like... I just appreciate people telling on themselves, I think is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) That's fair. I feel like we've covered most of my points. We have not talked about Giles yet, which I have a whole... Oh, yeah. Yeah, Giles as the representative of British imperialism. Uh, Also a point brought up by Made in Space. 
And also my other favorite thing, which is about the problems of lusting after <laughs> uh, avatars for uh, British imperialism, uh-huh. which, yep, just a terrible, like, Giles is so terrible in this episode. I mean, yes, like him being on sort of the side of the British Empire is already a terrible take to have. Yeah. And like the part where he's arguing with Willow over her fake woke takes is just Willow's doing the bare minimum and you still can't handle it. What the fuck? Yeah, Giles is a literal nightmare. I feel like they had to bring Spike in for this episode because the only way to like leave people not having a terrible taste in their mouth about Giles is to have Spike be worse. (laughs) I'm trying to think of Spike is more direct, but I think they're both basically saying the same thing. I fully agree with you. Spike just says much more um, gross things, right? Like the baldness yeah. of what of Spike's words makes it so that he is comes across as being like a step up from the way that Giles is expressing his sentiments. I know. I yeah. Just I just I I feel like I'm just without words about this. Just everything he says is incorrect. Yeah, we've already mentioned his terrible take on what the Shumash spirit is doing. Uh, I think we've got through most of my points, actually. <laughs> An hour later. Hey, let's go rant about stuff. Welcome to the Magic Box, where we rant about stuff. Alright, here's... Here's uh, Lark is married to a builder segment of the show. Yes, yes. <laughs> the idea that they were going to hand dig the foundation for this fucking cultural center is the silliest thing in the entire world. Like, no one, she could have ceremonially with the shovel full, but like, Xander was not going to dig with a shovel. He was going to dig with a fucking whatever the thing with the scoopy Back, backhoe. It like it that doesn't it doesn't make any and the like sorry the like square the footprint for where this building is going to be is like this giant square and Xander comes to like the middle and takes a shovel and like throws it <laughs> over. So I'm like you're not even digging out the space. I don't even know, like, what is happening here? So that was annoying. And then the fact that he dug, like, three shovels full of dirt and then fell into this space is, like, it doesn't make any sense that people have not fallen into this buried mission or whatever it was, like, forever ago. Because that's all very goofy. You know, now that you're saying that, there also should have been more dudes they're working it's beside just be just Sander. Sander by himself. <laughs> Anya's like, he's going to start sweating. And I'm like, yeah, and then he's going to have an actual heart attack. <laughs> Four seasons later, Xander is still digging. Exactly. <laughs> like, we're going to open it any day now. <laughs> Cool. What's your rant? Uh, so this is actually kind of a correction. Mm. Um, spotted not by me, but by Nicole. Um, so there is a bit when Buffy is frantically making 
her Thanksgiving dinner. She's making something where she opens a can. She opens a can of sweetened condensed milk to pour into the bowl, and the sound effect of her doing that is like a like a pouring, splashing sound, like it was liquid. Mm. If anyone has ever opened a can of sweetened condensed milk, it is viscous. It's not making any sound, and it was kind of just like, oh yeah, that is not that is not the correct sound that sweet condensed milk makes. You could have just not had any sound effect there, honestly. Have you listened to the Challenger disaster episode of You're Wrong About? Yeah. So you know that they added in the explosion sound effects because it like didn't actually explode, but the sight of it seeming to explode without there being any noise was so unsettling that news people were like, we have to make it sound like it's exploding. Yeah. I feel like maybe that's what's happening here. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. You open a can, it doesn't make any sound. Right. <laughs> that's really funny. That's well spotted. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh no. <laughs> um, This is not a rant. I don't actually know why I put it here. It probably should have been in the Browns, but... In the continued, like, heavy-handed symbolism, did you notice that Buffy is snuggling a stuffed cow? I did! (laughs) I saw that! So good. Uh, It's like, get it? She's a cowboy. Do you get it? Is everyone seeing this? She's holding a cow. like, thank you. (laughs) Props, people. You did a great job. Yeah. All right, welcome to Spike's Crypt, where we talk about sexy stuff. I wrote that there's nothing sexy in this episode, but you found something. Uh, I found something tangentially sexy about this episode. Okay. Which is, so, we get Spike shot with so many arrows. So Mm -hmm. many arrows. So, that got me thinking about the most thirst-trappy thing in art history, and western art history history which is hot paintings of saint sebastian who was a christian saint who got shot full of arrows and didn't die there is of course actually hilariously a toast article about this i'm actually just dropping into the chat some uh images of legit paintings of saint sebastian these paintings are often just ripped dudes that are barely wearing anything just shot full of arrows they're maybe they're bleeding a little bit maybe someone is touching them it is so ridiculous (laughs) yeah this is great and i just kept being like we really just needed an image of like uh spike as a hot saint sebastian and the art history tradition of hot saint sebastian i mean it seems like there must have at least subconsciously been some intentional reference given the way that St. Sebastian is tied up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is really good. People were people are fucking with fucking thirsty for these St. Sebastian paintings. It's just so thirsty. This is incredible. It's just so it's so horny. I can't eat. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. So I, I thought I would bring at least a little bit of sexy joy to this i love that i also realized as i was saying that there's nothing sexy that harmony is in this episode which means that there's by default something sexy in this episode because she looks great she's empowered she's kicking spike out yeah she she's starting to murder him 
which is yeah. like really the thing that I like about. <laughs> it's like, yeah, threaten that dude. Yeah. Oh, that was really fun. Um, I will put obviously links in the show notes so everyone can appreciate that. Welcome to the library where we talk about magic and science and magical science. There's no blood in gravy. No. What kind of gravy are they talking about? Buffy just, like many people, thinks that the juices that come out of meat are blood, but they aren't in any of the meats that you're eating. It's never blood. Uh, it's a something that I forgot the name of something globin that turns red when exposed to air and it's just meat juice but the blood is drained out of animals before they're turned into meat so feeding spike gravy is not going to solve his problems though eating gravy with a spoon is something that i did as a child and do still sometimes do especially once it's (laughs) cold and like gelatin it's real i had to say it's been a really long time to get into gravy i feel like as a child i didn't like the taste or the texture and i think not until i started making my own gravy where i was like oh this could be good i love gravy i also just love poutine which is like gravy plus french fries yes oh my god same same anyway but just so everyone knows there's no blood there's no blood in your turkey there's no blood in your gravy Even if it looks red, it's not blood. Anyway, um, that's my science for this episode. (laughs) Do you have anything? I have more art history. Okay, great. (laughs) Because so uh, Riley was like, yeah, you're probably imagining something out of a Grant Wood painting. And Buffy's like, I would if I knew who that was. And I was like, who is that? So he is a U.S. painter from Iowa, which is probably why... Riley knows him by name, because if you're in the Midwest, you do know your regional artists. Mm-hmm. But Grant Wood painted the infamous American Gothic, which for our listeners, if you've ever seen the painting or the parody painting of a long-faced dude with a pitchfork next to a long-faced woman as his wife with a farmhouse behind them, that is American Gothic, which has been parodied and ripped off so many times. So many. Yeah. Uh, and I also, when I was doing a little bit of research, he all, uh, Grant Wood also painted a bunch of other Iowa farm shit. It's like corn growing in a field. Here's some people. It's just, it's all very like quaint Midwest stuff. So that feels pretty accurate too. I've never been to Iowa, but I would just imagine it's mostly cornfields. So cool. Honestly, do you feel like it's a little bit weird that Buffy was like, I would if I knew who that was, and Riley wasn't like, he painted American Gothic? Because I feel like everyone knows what that painting is. It does feel like that should have been a thing that was in the dialogue. They could have cut out two lines of racist dialogue and put in that dialogue instead. (laughs) Oh, yeah. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, Next time we'll be watching season four, episode nine, Something Blue, which unlike this episode is a treasure. Uh, I can't wait. I love this episode. I love Something Blue. It's so good. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of We Are the Gayers. We will see you again for the full harvest moon on September 29th. Don't forget to check the show notes for all of the things. And until next time. It's the hell mouth, bitch. Like what? <laughs> <laughs>